Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones, and we have a guest today who's with us. You probably heard him coughing in the background. That might have been Neil. Neil Cole, was that you? I did cough, yes. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are really excited to have Neil on today. Neil is uh, uh, an author on church planning. I would consider him one of the uh, church planning gurus, um, if we can use that term. There's guys out there that you want to listen to. Uh, when you're talking about church planning. Neil would fit that category. He's written books like Organic Church, Church 3.0. That book, incidentally, absolutely revolutionized my understanding of communion. I make every single one of my small group leaders read that thing uh, before they ever uh, have anything to do with, before we let them touch communion with a 10-foot pole, let's put it that way. Um, He's got uh, Ordinary Hero, Church Transfusion. He's got a new book coming out. March 1st called Primal Fire. Neil's going to tell us a little bit more, cha-ching, a little bit more about that in a little while. And uh, anyways, he also is the founder and president of CMA, which is Church Multiplication Associates, which is just a dynamite name. And it's a pretty killer ministry. Neil uh, has been directly and indirectly involved uh, as a catalyst for over a thousand church plants. So right now, Neil, you're holding the record because we had Don Overstreet on here and he had mentored 500 church planters. So over 48 years. So you're, you're, you kind of got the record at the moment. <laughs> well, thank you. Our training, we call it greenhouse. Uh, we've trained over 50,000 church to be church planters. Wow. Wow. Okay. And so yeah, only off by forty nine thousand. That's that's about <laughs> me and math. You know what I'm saying? Well, so Neil, I'm not sure all church planters. So uh, we've planned them, trained them to be church planters, but that doesn't mean they did it. Right on, excellent. Well, uh, Neil, tell us a little bit about your background in uh, church planning. 
Well, I, um, missions and church planning has always been a passion of mine. I came to Christ as a student at Cal State University in Long Beach, and uh, right from the start was the gospel was the most important thing to me, and I began sharing that with people, and so from that point on, and my coaching and mentoring I received, missions was a big part of it. Um, I went off to seminary because that's all the option there was for anyone who felt called to serve the Lord. Um, graduated from seminary, and then as a rookie pastor, I took a church in Southern California, Rancho Cucamonga, and was asked as a rookie pastor to initiate church planting for my denomination, um, which we did. Uh, I, I only said yes because I, I knew we wanted to do church planting, and I didn't want someone else to tell me how we should do it. So I said yes, and before I knew, knew it, we had lots of church plants happening uh, in Southern California and Arizona. That was the district I'm a part of. Now, what? Uh, just then, so that I can see your theological underwear here, um, what what's sure. your denomination? Uh, I come from Grace Brethren. It's a Anabaptist uh, group. Um, they're not in every state. They're not. They're not a large denomination by any means. But right that's on. my background. Killer. So, so I was uh, um, starting church planting using all the regular training material that was available at the time. Um, Bob Logan was producing a lot of material, and we were listening to his tapes and going to his seminars. And then Bob and I um, co-authored a couple of resources together, Raising Leaders for the Harvest in 1995, and then uh, 10 years later we did Beyond Church Planting. Um, and so uh, after Raising Leaders for the Harvest came out, I felt God telling me to go plant a church. Prior to that, I was coaching and training, but I, I was still pastoring a, an established church. So we raised up a, uh, a, a guy that take over the lead of that church. He's still there. And um, they sent me to Long Beach, California to start churches. And that's when we really began to learn uh, more of an organic approach to church planting. When I got out on the field in Long Beach. Now, Neil, you're um, you're in Long Beach now, which is where our current church plant's at. So, tell us what you're you're currently doing in Long Beach. Well, most of my time now, um, there's a few leaders in the area that I meet with and coach, and I, I still make disciples of guys. I still have a house church in the area, but most of my time, ministry wise, is spent traveling uh, around the world, training people, and there are enough. There's, we've had enough time here in Long Beach that uh, um, I'm not necessarily on the ground anymore here. Yeah. I am on the ground, but my role is shifting. I'm more like a grandpa now than I am a sure. frontline church planter. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that happens to church planters at certain points. You know, um, Church planters never die. They just fade away. Uh, the, the reality <laughs> the reality is kind of like the Apostle Paul. I mean, I've said this. I'm I'm heading into my... I don't know if you call it the lion and winter phase, but um, where you are on the ground. I've been in ministry for 21 years now, and I believe I may have just planted my own last church. Right before this podcast, I was meeting with another guy. I'm starting to meet with a series of guys who they're planting, and I'm just there 
uh, for them, but it used to be like Paul's second missionary journey. I would plant, um, they would come with me and I train a team that way. And uh, now it's changing where I visit multiple teams. And I think that's more like Paul's third missionary journey. And that's, that's probably where you're at. I'm just coming into that right now. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wrote a book on that called Journeys. It's significant. It's about Paul's life. Yeah. It's about Paul's missionary journey. His, <laughs> his growth <laughs> development over time. So by his third journey, Paul uh, only stayed in one place and coached people, and they took the movement forward all over Asia. So I have kind of transitioned into a phase where I'm – I'm not the one on the front line so much anymore. Um, younger people are, and I'm coaching those guys. And that's what's so refreshing about church planning. And I think, Pete, it's kind of like this in the business world, too, isn't it? Where at a certain point, the older guys get out of the way. You know, they've still, they're still very active, but the way that they're active is different. They're passing on what they know. I Actually, I, I don't think it's like that in the business world at all. Sorry to totally squash your, your thought on that, but... Uh, most business guys, they're addicted to it. And so it doesn't become a, a, I want to coach thing because it's much more selfish in the business world. It's about you <laughs> conquering awesome. the mountain. It's about what you want to do, who you want to become, the money that you make. And that's how in the business world you keep score. Whereas um, in the church planning world, it's a different, it's a different thing. It's about saving souls. So I, I don't think it's it's the same way at all. Well, I, I think, too, would you agree with this, Neil, that, that part of what happens, kind of like what Pete just said, is you may even start off in ministry thinking it's all about you. And, you know, I'm going to be the next Charles Spurgeon, the next Lloyd-Jones, the next whoever. And by the time you're done, I think church planning has this kind of hardwired into it that you you end up, it really doesn't become about you at all. Well, I, I, I think that uh, even in the business world, you, you have, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, good to great, talked about the level five leaders uh, that are really the most successful leaders. They are the ones that back off and let other people be empowered to do the work. And I, I think that there are some models in business that does that. I, I do think that um, the true role of a leader in God's kingdom is to be an equipper of others. Yeah, uh, you can be apostolic, which means you're sent and you're planting a church, but you're really not an apostle until you're an equipper of others that are apostolic. Yeah, and so I think there's a natural maturing that goes on where the the church planter eventually realizes, all right, I've done this, and now it's my time to multiply myself so that Absolutely. I'm not the one who has to do it all. And I think that uh, we have a woeful lack of that in the kingdom of God, that there's too many leaders that still want to be the center of it all. And uh, as a result, they're immature. It's really a question of maturity. Mm. And an immature leader doesn't produce a mature church. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's really really powerful, too, because uh, when you're looking at... um, leaders as you said like it, it it's a maturity issue when when you're looking at leaders reproducing themselves hugh halter uh made a a comment when we were interviewing him where he said i i actually don't believe you ought to be full-time supported in ministry unless you're reproducing yourself and I, you know the more i thought about that biblically i thought that you actually see that in the scripture that is actually what a guy should be set apart for 
I totally agree with you and just about everything. So, uh, but uh, actually, <laughs> let's I, mention his books. So we can do a cha-ching. Bivo. <laughs> well, oh, too many, but Bivo just came out. That's, that's pretty good. I think, um, uh, yeah, absolutely right. I think that if you're not able to empower and equip others to do the job, you don't deserve the job. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the people that do receive the support, the, uh, the the finances, things like that, are the ones that create dependency upon themselves. Um, and and they're not going to reproduce, and they're not going to pass the baton. They're not going to see movement happen because they're too central to it all. They're the kingpin of it, and and that's a problem in church today. It really is. But some of the most haunting verses in the New Testament, like for instance Philippians two, where Paul says, "Just as you have always obeyed me, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence," that ought to be haunting most senior pastors. Because truthfully, if you are absent, the church is not more obedient, less obedient. Um, and if if your presence is what's needed for the church to be healthy and whole, then you've done a poor job as a leader. Mm. So that you know, you're never going to be as good as Jesus. But even Jesus said, "Unless I go away, <laughs> the Helper won't come, and you will do better in my absence than you did in my presence." Mm. Jesus speaks. So I think all of us ought to learn to mature to the point where we can back out of the picture and the church does better without us. But that's not the standard of leadership that we've had. And as a result, we have churches that are very immature, very dependent, and totally leader-driven. Now, Neil, what would you say to a church planner that's just starting out? Maybe they've just... uh, uh, felt the call and so they're really at the the ground floor place the ground floor level if you will uh what, what's the advice that you say to that guy gee well if you go all over the map um and it also kind of depends on the guy i people ask me all the time you know if i if i were, if I were gonna start over again in a new city what would i do and one of the first things i would do is i would i would walk the streets and spend a considerable amount of time praying, mm. just just praying. Um, and I think that uh, oftentimes that that stage either gets squished down to a small amount of time, or it gets uh, pushed aside, or you know people don't think it's as important. And I really think that's where the battle is won or lost. Hmm. So uh, I, I don't even think you know. Here's, here's some more advice. Don't set up your plan before you get on the field mm. um, because you need to have an adjustable, flexible plan for what God has already done on the field. Yeah. And too many church planners figure out what they want to do based on the experiences and models of other people without really putting foot to ground first and seeing what's happening there. So I would suggest you go, you spend a lot of time listening and praying and uh, walking the streets before you even come up with a plan, before you recruit a team, before you uh, start launching anything. You know, I think that's one of the things that, having read a few of your books, um, that really comes across that you... uh, you seem, I mean, you know, I was about to use the word organic, and of course, having written Organic Church. Cha-ching. Sorry, I, I was uh, I was still listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was actually paying attention to what I was saying. 
the, uh, <laughs> the the deal is that you know you get a sense of that. I can remember reading a story that was fascinating to me about Long Beach, and I mean, it, it, you know, they talk about Las Vegas and New York being cities that never sleep, but I mean, Long Beach is is not far off from that either. Um, particularly when you're hearing gunshots all through the night. But uh, but I, I remember a story about um, there was a guy who, and I might be getting it wrong, Neil, but a guy who I think was uh, connected with the communities that, that you were running there, and uh, and he was a security guard. And he came to you and said, hey, look, I'm up all night, and I'm meeting people all the time who can't go to church. And I, so I've started something at 3 a.m. Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did tell me after the fact, but they had a church meeting actually in the uh, parking lot, which is another thing you can do in Long Beach that you can't do in Detroit or Los Angeles or New York year-round. But uh, they met in a parking lot of a of a supermarket at 3 a.m., just people who had come to Christ. Every city is this way. It, uh, every city in the country has a population that uh, sleeps during the day and works at night. That They're... They're custodial staff, they're police officers, they're emergency room nurses uh, and doctors. There, you know, there are. There's a populace of every nation, of every city, that is at, at night uh, working, and we need to realize that churches got to go to them as well. You know, can you kind of expand on that concept of uh, of a three a.m. church? Because I'm just, you know, I'm hearing that idea and I'm thinking about. It, I'm thinking it's a hot idea, but. Does it look like, you know, a, a church service that someone might have ex- experienced already, like on a Sunday morning, or is it more like a Bible study? Is it? I mean, w- what does it look like? Um, I, you know what? I did go, uh, but I have been to uh, this guy's started a number of churches, so um, and I know him. I've coached him for going on fifteen years now. So I could tell you what it was like. It was more like a 12-step recovery group yeah. than a worship service. It probably had worship. Uh, he's a musician himself, and he writes worship songs. But it would have involved you know, mutual confession, sharing of what's going on in life, praying for one another. Uh, it would have been a small spiritual family on mission together. Uh, hmm. So it would yeah. not have had, had a, a an order of service. Yeah. Those kind of things. Well, it's so funny because that that's an area where you and I, you know, it's kind of like you speak in my love language because in Europe, you know, we started churches in coffee shops. And one of the things that struck me when I read Church 3.0 was very organically, uh, much like, like we were, you were starting churches in coffee shops just through talking to people. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, that if I were to kind of like, you know, break uh, you know, uh, Neil Cole down into his atomic particles and come up with an equation. I think I would find things like prayer, the spirit, uh, conversation, uh, organic, and then you put them all together, and that's what one of your communities is going to look like. But it's very natural, isn't it? You're you're just going and you're you're meeting with you're doing what they did in the New Testament. Yeah, that's true. I think we've. Uh... We, we've bought into this idea that church is a once-a-week event that takes place, and the better the event, the better the church. And that's really just not a New Testament idea. Hmm. Um, in the New Testament, church is a spiritual family. That no, no other metaphor for church is more prolific than the idea of family. And we expect 
all of our people to know how to start a family. Why can't we expect them all to know how to start a church if church is just a family? Now, I, I, I think church goes beyond your nuclear family, but it is the way we relate to one another as a family on mission together. And when you begin to see church that way, it, it changes all your dynamics. You can multiply that. Families multiply naturally, um, but, but events on Sunday don't. <laughs> They cost too much. They take too much of our resources and our time and our energy and our devotion and our emotions. And they really don't give us the payback that uh, in reproduction and in changed lives that we, we want them to. Yeah. Give us give us a little bit of a flavor of, um, let's say, like, I say to you, hey, Neil, I, I want to come to church with you. Um, you know, what does that look like? Well, uh, if you want to come to church where I'm at, then that just uh, means going to the, the community that meets in the home uh, that I go to once a week. Um, it happens to be at my house, but it wasn't always. It started in a drug dealer's home that came to Christ and, and all of his clients and, uh, <laughs> and uh, fellow addicts. And we met in his crack house for uh, a long time. Seven years, he was sober clean, leading people to Christ, starting churches. And then he went back on drugs. And so we moved it out of his house. Um, mm. And Always. the only other house in the area was mine. So now it's meeting in my house, but right it's never been my, my choice to meet in my house. It's just. Uh, the Always. Uh, so would, oh, sorry. Go ahead. This, uh, uh, it would just be going to a home on an evening, usually and having a meal and, hanging out with people. We do sing some songs. We share uh, what's going on in our lives. We pray uh, extensively for one another, lay hands on each other when there's a need. And um, and we open the Word. We crack open the Word and just talk about it. But it's always a dialogue. It's not a, a lecture. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that interactive, uh, you know, is something that we say on the, on the podcast. We quote it all the time, and I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but uh, eventually I'll assimilate it, absorb it, and claim that it's mine. But the, the phrase is that, but I didn't invent it, but it was uh, life change happens in circles, not in rows. And I think that speaks to that interactive dynamic. Yeah, yeah, it does. Face-to-face. Life on life. Awesome. And you've got a book coming out called Primal Fire, and it, it touches on these things. Woo-hoo! And it touches on these things. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, it comes out on March 1st. Um, tell us kind of why you felt the need to write it and what is it about. Well, Primal, Primal Fire is a little bit different than all my other books in that it, it, it really is not so much about um, church being – uh, meeting in homes or being organic or missional. It's really more about the uh, gifts that Christ has given to us all to create a, a body that reflects who Jesus is. And the gifts are mentioned in Ephesians 4.11. The whole book is about Ephesians 4. Hmm. Uh, and the gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And they've been given to equip the saints for the work of service so that the body looks like Christ. And so that's the, the intent of the whole book. The idea is that this, there's a, a primal image of God in all of us that is uh, that, that Christ is the, the image of the invisible God, 
and we are to grow into the likeness of Christ. To do that, we need these five gifts, and so that's what the book is about. Awesome. And is the is the book structured uh, kind of like does it does it go through each of the chap you know each of the gifts like one per chapter or is it what's kind of the breakdown of the book where do you start where do you go and where do you end up? Yeah, sure. The first part of the book is uh, more conceptual in that it, it talks about um, how it it, bring, it starts with creation that God Himself uh, His image has these five components, and you can find these five uh, strengths even in the early four stages of creation before the fall. Interesting. Um, That's new. And Yeah. And so then we talk about what leadership is and isn't, which is important. If you're going to talk about these gifts, uh, oftentimes people get the gifts right, but they get leadership wrong, and that corrupts everything else. So mm-hmm. they try to apply the gifts in a hierarchical, top-down, authoritative way, and right. it messes everything. So we, we deal with a lot of those issues first. In the second section of the book, we actually go through and talk about what the gifts are, um, and, uh, and also how each gift has a shadow it casts um, that makes us realize we need all the gifts rather than just one. Any one gift alone will have a real dark shadow. But when they work together, all those shadows evaporate. Hmm. Nice. And then the third part of the book is getting more practical with these gifts, talking about um, how they can work together, uh, how they complement each other, um, what are some counterfeit there are counterfeits in the New Testament of all five gifts, and so we get into that. Wow. And how to how to discover gifts. So now, that sounds awesome because I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Church Zero has you know a number of chapters. I think six chapters that deal with Ephesians four, um, and then I read Alan Hirsch. Uh, anything by Alan, he's going to talk about the Apest, and of course, Permanent Revolution, which was kind of like the textbook, right? For uh, you know the 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 you know it's kind of like the eggheaded version of you know um, anything to do with yeah. apostles prophets, but I've not these concepts that you're mentioning like I'm fascinated by that I've I've not heard a lot of those things but so oftentimes when you're studying the scripture and you pull something out you know you, you realize after a certain number of years studying the Bible this can't be isolated here if if this is how God is operating his church surely it has to be hardwired but I've never actually seen anyone trace that so that sounds absolutely fascinating yeah it's fun you know the one of the things that distinguishes this book is um i I did write the book and I am the the main author but i I wrote it with the four guys that I've worked with for the last 20 years wow. who are of the different gifts. So it has a more holistic, balanced approach in that all the gifts are represented in the ideas. Um, oftentimes you'll find a book written that's pretty good, but it it leans toward the gift of the person who wrote it. Absolutely. And so these guys help me stay balanced. They always have. We've worked together for all these years. And it's rare to find a fully intact APES team that has yes, been functioning well. And we have, you know, for 20 years. So uh, it's written by Neil Cole with Desi Baker, Ed Waken, Phil Helfer, and Paul Kack. 
So um, it it has stories and examples of real life taking place. Interactions that we've had. Tell me, tell me about your prophet. He lives in Globe, Arizona. Uh, He doesn't actually eat. Well, he would eat locusts actually, but that's not his regular diet. He (laughs) he owns his own cafe that he started. He lives in Globe, Arizona. Uh, he moved there and, and just began to transform a whole city from the grassroots by just simply being present in the community and seeing a need, praying, and doing something about it. Desi and I uh, travel often together. Uh, the apostolic prophetic working together to lay foundations is really important. Absolutely. So often we travel together, and uh, he sees things. He, You know, prophets are most... What they're really given for is sight. They have insight, foresight, and uh, hindsight, huh. and those those things provide uh, help for then the apostolic action to occur. So we work well together. Um, yeah, we're, we're kind of like lifelong ministry partners in a sense. When you're fortunate enough to actually plant with uh, a prophetic type leader, if you're apostolic. Uh, it it is one of those. I mean, it it is special. the the dynamic. It's almost like you're standing in an elevator and Jerry Maguire saying, "You complete me." Um, you just get each other. You know what I mean? You 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 just kind of there is a, a almost like the the WWF used to do tag team wrestling. You're hurling each other. You know, with your centrifugal force and you're throwing each other. And uh, and I've always enjoyed that dynamic in my in my last church plant. Um, I, I had to do a bit of planning without a prophetic type leader. And so when you made the observation that um, it's rare to find in a complete APES team, I found that in my experiences that um, I'm often working with uh, a, a different mix every time. And uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, we're going to want to, this is, this is coming to the end of the time that we have, but we're going to want to uh, get you back on here probably and talk about Prime of Fire again, because uh, what you've said about the book so far, I'm I'm super intrigued. I'm hoping you send me a free copy, ching. And uh, anyways, we will uh, we'll probably review it in the magazine because it sounds phenomenal. Great. Plus, it'll give me an opportunity to shamelessly plug Church Zero. <laughs> okay, yep. So on the same theme, I had Church Zero with me while I was writing it. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunately, the apostles and prophets don't always get along. Their strengths work. <laughs> complementary, and so they oftentimes are on opposite ends of the spectrum on issues, and they have to learn to get along. Um, but that that's in the book, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Building teams around their gifts is not going to work. Uh, you, yeah, you have to build around weaknesses, not strengths. Then mm-hmm. they appreciate one another. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we, we, we could, we could talk to you about this again and we will for sure have you on again, but, uh, Neil, thanks for coming. The book is primal fire. The man is Neil Cole and the ministry is church multiplication associates. You've been listening to the church planner podcast with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell and reminding you that if you want to reach the ones that no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. 
If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music